Hi, and welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a weekly show that's released every Friday, and this is episode 52, our listener recommendation show. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave, Dr. Shock Becker from just outside Philly, PA. And Wolfman, Josh. How's it going, Jay? It's good. Welcome. Thanks for being here, you guys. So, Josh... If this is their first time listening, will you kind of just kick out there, tell us what happened on our Friday the 13th stuff and how this show tonight came to be? Absolutely. We, uh, we reviewed the entire Friday the 13th franchise and, um, we did a series of giveaways during that time. Um, one of the prizes though was to have your movie recommendation reviewed on the show. And so we had, as we had listeners email us or tweet us or comment at horrormoviepodcast.com and leave a recommendation uh, for a film they'd like to hear us review. And so we just, what we did is each of us picked one film we wanted to review. We thought there was going to be a fourth host on that show. I was really pulling to get Kyle on there or or a great guest, Uh, but it didn't work out. And so what we did is we picked a show that all of us wanted to watch as well for the fourth one. So um, we're going to start with the fourth one, I think. But um, as we go, we'll read some feedback or the the recommendation from our listeners that kind of prompted us to choose this film and talk about why we chose your film. Yeah. And, and I just want to say right up front that I was lame and I did not watch the fourth one. So, just, <laughs> <laughs> so I'm sorry, but at this point we will move into our feature review of Alucarda from 1977. <laughs> Okay, so Alucarda, this is a film that was recommended by Juan from San Antonio, Texas. And this is a film that um, I'd heard a lot about. We have another listener that's a diehard. He's been listening to Jay and, and Dave going years back before I even was on the podcasting scene, I believe. Um, but he, his name is Chris Excess, and this is a film that he's recommended to me several times. And as I watch the film, I can see why Chris likes it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that made itself obvious, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but this recommendation did come from Juan. It's a 1977 Mexican film, and this is Juan's recommendation for it. He says, this one might be better suited for the Wolfman's Got Nard segment just because of the sheer amount of controversial content. Here are a few words that come to mind when thinking about the movie. Sacrilegious, violent, graphic, sexual, perverse, extreme. Having said that, the movie is beautiful to look at. There is some incredible imagery here, even if it's graphic in nature, and the movie has a lot to say. It's not those things listed above just for the sake of it. It's a very smart film when when taking into account the time when the film was made and the social conditions surrounding the film, and the people who made it. It's that much more powerful. Just to sell it even more, but hopefully not too much, the director, Juan Lopez 
Moctezuma is one of Guillermo del Toro's biggest influences growing up. So that was an excellent recommendation from Juan for me. And then pairing that with the fact that it's a film I've been meaning to get around to from Chris X's recommendation. This was one I definitely wanted to check out and talk about. What about you guys? What what made you want to pick this as well, Dave? I actually, it, it had a lot to do with it. It was, you know, the Chris XS had recommended it. Uh, I'd seen his recommendations before and um, Juan was really sold it. <laughs> he, he really sold it with, uh, with his uh, description. I mean, uh, it, it sounded like it, it had a lot to offer. So I, that was the one it's, it's odd. Cause when we were going over that show of what we were, we had chosen, I had chosen this one. That was the one I had sort of underlined um, with a backup and then you had chosen Alicarta, so that was one. I that was when we decided, okay, well, why don't we just? That'll be the one we'll all do. Okay, yeah, and then yeah, we'll all right. have a separate one. Uh, but no, it had a lot to do with the way Juan, Juan, you know, described it there. Plus, I had heard of it before from Chris XS. Yeah, and this is one where the poster art just is awesome. Like it's one of those movies where you see the poster and you're like, okay, I want to see right. this <laughs> movie. Yeah, definitely. And. Uh, I mean, one mistake I made is I I assumed that Alucarda, the titular character who's on the poster, was a man and not a woman. So uh, it looks a little less extreme knowing that it's a <laughs> knowing that it's a woman. But um, anyway, <laughs> this is a uh, nineteen. Well, it was filmed in nineteen seventy five. Didn't actually come out until nineteen seventy eight. It was uh, made in Mexico in e- the English language originally, which I thought was an interesting twist i guess so it would reach a larger audience it didn't reach that audience in fact it it wasn't really well known at the time of its release but it has become a kind of a cult classic and a, and a cinematic oddity it's one that's kind of hard to find or people haven't really heard of and so it's the kind of movie that gets passed around and uh, the director juan lopez moctezuma is a guy um he's probably most famous for producing some of the films by Yodorowsky, like he did um mm. What is the, oh, I'm blanking on it. El Topo. El yes, Topo's, that's, yeah, that's one of his. Yeah. yeah he, he produced El Topo and he directed several other films. And as Juan said, he was a big influence on um, Guillermo del Toro, which I feel, feel like you can see some of Guillermo del Toro's work when, when you watch this movie, mm-hmm. it's very different stylistically ultimately. But like when I watch Kronos or I, or I watched even Pan's Labyrinth, I can kind of get a sense of how this guy might've appealed to him, how this guy's uh, sensibilities may have appealed to Del Toro. But basically what you have here is the story of a young girl named Justine who goes to a Catholic convent. Um, and she meets another young girl named Alucarda, which is Dracula backwards with an additional a on the end. Um, and they form a very fast friendship probably one of the fastest friendships in cinematic history. They're just instantly (laughs) best friends within the first two minutes of the film. And it's not even like a, a passage of time kind of a situation. It's just, (laughs) they're great friends. And we've seen a little bit of Alucarda's past when she was born, there was kind of some demonic uh, events happening around her birth. So we get the sense that she's a little dark. She looks a little, you know, intense and brooding. And she has that kind of, to me, this is like the nightmare scenario of someone one of my children would become friends with in high school. Right. Like, <laughs> hey, you want to see my bag of secrets? And then suddenly they're off like playing in the woods and talking to gypsies and things like, oh, no, like this is not what I, this is that kind of nightmare scenario. But um, right. they 
become fast friends. They run in, they do run into some gypsies in the woods, which is a bizarre scene. And at that point in the movie, I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be like a troll two kind of experience. Like it, this is that so bad. It's good kind of material. Like this is a really wacky hunchback, like leprechaun man with a German accent here that I'm looking at. And this movie is going to take some bizarre turns and it absolutely does. They eventually start participating in some orgies and some satanic rituals and, um, and all kinds of bizarre visuals ensue. But I don't know. I think this is a movie I wasn't really on board for, for the first half. And the second half, it kind of won me over a little bit. I saw why this is kind of a cult classic. I, I felt it was really grating overall would be my my first response to it. But then I was, but it, I don't know. It's just kind of it's just kind of won me over the more I've thought about it a little bit. Um, very sacrilegious, very kind of in the face of Catholicism, which is obviously the major religion in Mexico, especially in 1978. And so I don't know. Interesting, interesting movie. It was definitely worth watching, and I'd love to talk a little bit more about it. Dave, what was your response to it? Well, it's 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 funny because I, I had uh, not, not an exact, not a similar response, but along the same lines is that, you know, the first half, it seemed like, I mean, it was definitely trying to be almost like an, I got the feeling of like an art house type film. You yes, know? absolutely. With, with, with what it was trying to do. And I thought maybe it was trying a little too hard to do that at first. But like you, I mean, I did eventually get sort of wrapped up in this thing, and and you know, with uh, I I don't know what it was. It was it was it it really was an an in your face movie. I mean, this the the things they were saying, and and you could see why this was so controversial just from that alone. I mean, forget the nudity, forget the you know the orgy scenes. You you, you take what these characters were were saying. Um, you know, for, for what was, like you said, a Catholic country in the, in the 1970s. Yeah. And I, I could definitely see where I could definitely see where this really, you know, stirred a lot of, stirred up a lot of controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, and I was won over by its style too, where I was a little bit resistant at first, only because I thought it was trying too hard. Uh, it did eventually, I don't know if it settled down or I became used to it. You know, this is my first time through with it. I'd have to watch it one more time, uh, which I probably will do uh, somewhere down the road, um, just to just to to see exactly what it was. Because I don't know if if I just became accustomed to it or if it then didn't see, like was didn't seem like it was trying as hard. You know, like it was throwing all these images at us at first, almost as if it was with the girl Justine, like her seduction into this lifestyle. Um, and then maybe it settled down because, okay, now they got her and now we're settling back into the nuns and the priest and the doctor and the, and, and all yeah. trying to figure out what's going on here. Um, but I, I, overall, I, I did like it. I mean, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was an, a, a, a very interesting movie. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not that familiar with, with Mexican horror. And I'm not really either. And I think that was this was as good a place as any to start, I'm assuming. You know, I I, I'm guessing so, that's yeah. why that might be why Chris uh, was recommending it to us. I mean, you know, to, to say, hey, here's a good place to sort of, you know, dip your feet in. Yeah, I think it's one that, um, you know, I mean, I guess both Juan and uh, Chris both have, you know, Mexican backgrounds, heritage. Yeah. Obviously, Chris mm-hmm. Moore 
more directly living in Mexico City, but um, yeah, it's definitely, I think, a film you could kind of be proud of if it's from your hometown. Like, this is like, right. check out this crazy thing, movie. Um, I, it, it's, to me, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely has an art house feel to it. Um, as In fact, you know, again, because it's called Alucarda, um, I assumed this was going to be a vampire movie. It doesn't really, I mean, there's some vampire esque moments, but it's really more of like a satanic possession. I don't yeah. know. It's a, it's a bizarre mixture. This is kind of like the not monster, not a monster type of film as well, but yep. it, it's interesting. I mean, it, it would definitely classify it as an oddity. I feel like it's kind of like one quarter art house film, one quarter, like really bad schlock film, and then half just kind of interesting cinematic oddity. <laughs> yeah, and then definitely, yeah, and definitely, obviously, exploitation thrown in there as well. Oh yeah, there's know? a lot of it. Yeah, there's a lot of that. It has that very. And this is the thing. I'm usually not one for psychedelic stuff in movies. It's just not my. I just have zero interest in that usually. Mm-hmm, and so right. I was a little bit worried about that. Also, when I found out that this guy was heavily influenced by Yodorowsky and. And, um, you know, and had worked with them and stuff, but it, it wasn't really that there are some kind of scenes that are a little trippy, but you know, you're, you are dealing with kind of this taking over someone's mind and this possession. And this film has been, uh, compared to the devil by Ken Russell yet again, we keep mentioning him on the show. Um, it's been compared to the exorcist and it's been compared to Carrie, all of which preceded this film. And I do think I can see those influences in the film for oh, sure yeah. the, the, there's no doubt and and even but some of the imagery in it like there's there's this one scene and i don't know why it, it bothered me but there's one scene where this i guess it's like this this uh one of the the young nuns who had befriended justine and um was sort of realizing i guess what was going on maybe before everybody else was is praying and it's interspersing mm-hmm. with scenes of justine and alicard and she's praying for her for no it was actually in a, that was when they were interspersing scenes of the orgy and yeah. she's praying for the soul of justine and uh, please you know and please please god please jesus save her save her but when they go back to her then she's levitating yeah and Crazy. i don't know why but I, that just sort of, I was like, whoa, you know, yeah. that just really kind of, I was taken aback by that. Um, and I think this movie has several images like that. You know, I don't know that, it, I, and it might just be because of the, the time frame. It might be because of the presentation. I don't know that there was ever a point where I was terrified watching the movie, but there was always a sense of unease as yeah, you're watching it. It yeah. wasn't, it wasn't like super scary in the sense of it. Yeah. Of the t- of tension building or something, but it was scary just because it's so bizarre. And so, yeah. and so I don't know. I, f- I did really find some of the parts pretty grating. They're just long mm-hmm. scenes of just people just sh- shrieking, screaming. <laughs> like yes. It will go on for oh, like yeah. five minutes. <laughs> it's like, here's a woman fully nude, fully covered in blood, screaming at the top of her lungs for three to five straight minutes. Like it's just a long <laughs> time for a scene like that. Right. But, there, right. but, but it is, it is I, in quotes fun, I guess there, I think the yeah. finale, especially the big finale of this movie is pretty awesome. Like yes. it has a carry moment kind of thing going on at the end mm-hmm. and it's awesome. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that scene no. quite a bit. I was looking at this, uh, and Alicarda was supposed to be 15 years old. I think it's pretty clear that she was not 15 years old. 
28 years old, baby. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> but even still, I guess I don't know if that was what raised some of the controversy too. that that this young girl, probably not at that time. I'm guessing maybe that wasn't as big a deal back then. Right. But yeah, there's no way she was. There's no way this girl was 15 years old. Oh, I wasn't and, thinking of a la carte. I was thinking of Justine. Justine looks really old to me. Like, yeah, she does. She does. She, both, she looks like she's in her, be like her 15. They're right. supposed to be 15, though. Well, yeah, it's an orphanage, I guess so. Yeah, but Alucarda um, was was the uh, – she was supposed to be 15 years old, at least in the description I read. Who knows if that's correct? I think I no, saw that on Wikipedia. Um, but I thought that – I like them. I mean, I thought that those the actresses were good. I mean, Alucarda sort of – had that she was the one she was the she was the the uh the force introduced into this um into this orphanage that was disrupting everything and i thought it was another scene i thought was kind of funny but yet still i i'd, I'd liked it was when they were walking around with the book just this guy walking around with a book and everyone was taking a different passage to read of what yeah. had happened to the different monasteries i think by the time it got to the third one it was about as generic in a description as you can get they weren't even getting into specifics but he just walks here and they said oh 1492 walks to a nun who'd never seen this book before picks up river in 1550 and they just start reading like that it struck me as a little bit funny but yet still interesting like i would say oh i wonder what they're you know i was kind of like oh i wonder what they're going to say here you know i thought that was kind of cool yeah i think and then also you know he talked about alucarda being the introduction of the evil i think maybe i mean there's also some kind of illusion that there were the reincarnated witches or something like that's also kind of something that you were wondering about right um so i don't know there's a lot going on there and it's very non-specific and although i would agree the actors are very good the two Mm -hmm. lead actresses their characters are so strangely defined that it it's also it's, you're kind of battling that the whole time also because it's shot like foreign language style like it's it's shot to be dubbed almost and i yeah. believe most of the dialogue is put in in post-production and adr so it has a very kind of weird feeling to it the way all the dialogue is delivered like it sounds like it was recorded in a recording booth or something mm-hmm. right but i don't know there, there are does. a lot of yeah I also thought, besides uh, Guillermo del Toro, I felt like Peter Jackson must have been a huge fan of this movie because you think about Heavenly Creatures mm-hmm. and even some of the more disturbing scenes in Frighteners really reminded me of Alucarda. Like, I felt like Frighteners must have, you know, been influenced definitely Heavenly and, Creatures. And in Heavenly Creatures with the relationship between the girls, which is borderline lesbian. You know, I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. there's definitely there's definitely cr- crossing over into that. I, I mean, I, I, with Heavenly Creatures, I'm pretty sure there was. But with this one, it definitely even it, there are even scenes that go straight into that. But yet that's not solely what this is all about here. You know, right. it's 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 almost like that's just an extension of the evil um, that that's yeah. sort of taken hold of them. Um, but no, I could see that. Yeah, I, I could definitely see what you're talking about there. I think so. And it's. Um, but Del, but Del Toro also, you know, I, I think it's interesting that you were saying you could see traces of that in, uh, like Pan's Labyrinth and, and such, because as I was thinking about it, yeah, you definitely can. Jay, do you have any questions for us based on what you're hearing? <laughs> no, no, this sounds pretty wild actually. And it sounds like something that Chris XS and Juan would appreciate for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I have first, for the first little while I was like, I am curious. I like, this does not seem like a movie that Juan would 
would like, but I, I get it by the end. I get why anybody would appreciate it because it's a film that's so unique that you kind of have to go like, okay, yeah, I can tip my hat to this. It definitely feels like a Chris excess movie though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. In some, there are scenes in this where you're looking and say, I can almost see uh, images of this lifted and he, him posting them on Twitter. Yeah. It's like, if you, you know, you talk about being able to see influences in people's work, it's like, Oh, I can see Chris excess all over this movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, the one thing we haven't talked about too much. I mean, you mentioned the nun, which that was one of the best scenes in the movie. I also mm-hmm. liked the kind of school scene, I guess, where, you know, the nuns are teaching and she kind of stands up and starts spouting all this satanic rhetoric that right the was two bizarre. of them, yes. yeah. it, it really was and they're getting all the other girls out and yeah. and now we have to pray for alex that was when they first i think sent for the doctor they're oh they must be sick that, that was also that- sorry yeah, yeah there's also kind of like a christ-like crucifixion slash saint sebastian from carrie kind of moment in this movie that i thought was interesting mm-hmm. um but but the one thing about the the nuns is the self-flagellation like i didn't notice this um, at first that they were covered in blood at first, I thought they were just wearing like tie dye clothes or something. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what I thought too. It's like, okay, some of them are neat. Some of them got this red. I thought it was like a rank. Maybe, maybe I thought it like, it's like a, it was okay. Well, the ones with the red, maybe they're a little higher up than these other ones. I wasn't yeah. sure, you know, but yeah, the self, and then you have the scene right after with, with the priest in the chapel where, where they're realizing what's going on and they're all being, like beaten on the back with uh with these things and they're still just having like carrying on conversations yeah it's like a flagellating is that what it's called yeah it's flagellation. Yeah, it's yeah, flagellation it's, not flatulation not, is not something different yeah, <laughs> is a little bit different yeah but and, uh, no it, and it's and it's and i think that itself is a very strong uh critique on faith you know on the on the cat on the christian faith because if you think about it you look at the, the 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 you know the uh, the I guess the devil worshippers are are out in the woods making love. Um, the the Christians are are in a in a dark room having them have themselves whipped on the back for their faith. No, absolutely. The uh, yeah the the satanic worshippers are in like a beautiful field, right? And you're like, this looks a lot more pleasant than this terrifying monastery that these other people live in. It looks like a cave. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I mean, I thought that was interesting. Like, I couldn't tell. Like, is do you think that was all flagellation blood? Whatever it is, it's very unsanitary. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. all of their clothes are covered with blood at all times. And like, not to be, you know, I don't mean to say this in an off color way, but it looked like menstruation blood. A lot of it seemed to be coming from like the waist area. Yeah. Like, and I don't know, just kind of bizarre. Like, but they were very dirty. Whatever, whatever was happening bathing wasn't like high on their list of priorities no or or washing the clothes or laundry or yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> definitely not <laughs> all right well i for me i mean i was really underwhelmed by the first half and really kind of just annoyed for a lot of it but it bit by bit <laughs> it uh they carved it, a nightmare it carved a nightmare in my soul and it <laughs> and it kind of won me over by the end in in the sense that i'm like this is such a unique film everybody should see this once if you like kind of bizarre um rarities you know this is a this is a rarity this is a deep cut and i think this is one that people could check out if they can stand i mean it's very bloody but it's not 
scary. It's more just kind of gross mm-hmm. and it's very satanic, like, but not, I mean, you know, about the same as something like the exorcist or, or something like that um, along right. those lines. So know that going in, not my favorite combination of elements to be honest. And also because I was hoping this might be another art house vampire movie, but mm-hmm. um, interesting enough, I would give this a six. I would say it's a rental. The DVD looks like it might be worth picking up if you are interested in it, though, because it has a British documentary about the director as well as interviews with Guillermo del Toro on the DVD. So that might be interesting to pick up if you want to dive a little deeper. Okay, six out of ten. What do you say, Dr. Shock? I'm going to go a little bit higher than that. I'm going to give it a seven out of ten. Because I did enjoy it, I, and like I said, the, 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 there's the exploitation factor to it as well. I would say I don't I don't know if I'd go so far as to say it's like non exploitation, because I don't think that was really what it was about. <laughs> it was you know definitely this this sort of satanic thing going on here. Um, but uh, no, I I was on board with it too, and I really uh, I really enjoyed it. So yeah, I'll give it a seven. Um, like it did, and it worked the worst time. Yes, there, the scenes of the of the of the, the constant screaming after I like okay, uh, uh, let, get on with it. I understand it was unnerving. There's no doubt about it. It's unnerving when you're standing there screaming for all that time. But yeah, um, it also you know because it happened several times, so it's you kind of like okay, let's move on here. Um, but yeah, I'd say a, I'd give it a seven out of ten, and I do have the DVD. As a matter of fact, it's Mondo Macabro. Is the okay. ones who uh, put it out, and they are a very interesting uh, label. I mean, I actually have a series now. I haven't seen them yet, but it's it's Bollywood horror um, okay. that they put out like three different volumes of that. And I didn't get volume one before it went out of print, and now it's like astronomical. I, you know, I'd have to take out a loan to get it, but I was <laughs> able to get volumes two and three, and um, they look like they could be really interesting. I mean, you that, take Bollywood that's an episode, man. Yeah, that's a thing. I think so. Right there. Mm-hmm. I think so, because you take Bollywood, you know what Bollywood is. I mean, it's the three hour movies of singing and dancing and and then, yeah. you know, family and everything. And then you throw in uh, throw horror into that because these are not short horror films. Some of them are two and a half hours. Um, <laughs> so it, it'll be really I'm really looking forward to delving into some of those, too. But that label looks good. And I wanted now and now that you mentioned that I got to go back and check out because I just watched this right before we were recording. I definitely want to go back and check out those special features. You know, people often tally like how many times the F word or the N word appear in Mm -hmm. films. If you were to tally the S word being Satan, this is probably the highest (laughs) instance of Satan being said in a movie. It's like said maybe like 50 times per scene. (laughs) I agree. I agree. And you know what it is? It is. It is like the exorcist. It did take some things from that, but it would almost be like the exorcist. If we were inside Reagan's head, you know, mm. if we were seeing what was mm. going on in her head, as mm. opposed to just witnessing it from the outside, from everybody else's vantage point, I yeah. think that, you know, this one gets a, this one takes us deeper into it than the exorcist did to show us the seduction of it and, 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 and that end of it. So, um, I think it ad- adds a little bit more to it than the exorcist does. Now I'm certainly not taking anything away from the exorcist. It's a classic, you know, one of the f- most, for me, the most, the mo- one of the most frightening movies ever of all time. But this one that was, was in the exorcist where the priests were the mother watching her in this one where we're Reagan looking out, you yeah, know, the priest seems like, like a big time outsider. 
as we're yeah. experiencing the film. I will say, um, if I had to match the films up, The Exorcist wins, like, hands down. Oh, yeah. For me in terms of oh yeah, me too. Me too. Yeah, you can't. You, there's really is no no comparison as, as far as as quality for me either. Uh, but I do recommend people check this out. I'd say it's it's uh, rental. The okay. biggest discovery for me, sorry, just one last thing. Mm-hmm. The biggest discovery for me came in my research um, as I prepared to talk about the film. I found that it was based on a novel from Ireland from 1872 called Carmilla or Carmilla. Yeah. And it's a, it's a Gothic novella by Joseph Sheridan Le Fanu, which apparently was a huge influence on Bram Stoker when he wrote Dracula. In fact, um, instead of Transylvania, his original setting was the same as the one in Carmilla. And uh, the characters of Lucy and Van Helsing seem to be directly pulled from Carmilla, as well as this idea of, a vampire seductress, you know, the kind of vampire bride character was heavily influenced by Carmilla and, and apparently was also the, a big influence on vampire, which I've talked about either on this show or movie podcast weekly in the past. Um, but anyway, this makes me want to read Carmilla it looks amazing. And it came out 26 years prior to uh, Dracula. And apparently if you read the first manuscript, of Dracula, which was changed five days later. The next revision came out five days later. The first draft had a deleted first chapter that kind of made it very clear that this was kind of a follow-up or related to Carmilla. Interesting. And they cut that out. They cut that out, and it was only published posthumously by um, the Stoker estate. Mm. Very interesting. That's neat. You know what, Jay? We're going to have to make a note of that. I've just got an idea for a... uh, uh, for a themed episode, 19th century horror, we could throw something. We could throw gothic in there. We could throw the haunted palace in there. Yes. And what was the other one? Vampire. I don't know if that was actually the movie itself was set in that time period. Yeah, it was uh, a yeah, the drier film. Yeah. Okay, so maybe Ooh. we could put that one in there too. <clears throat> that sounds good to me, you guys. All right, so for Alucarda from 1977, Wolfman Josh says it's a six out of ten. Rent it. And Dr. Shock gives it a 7 out of 10 and says, rent it. Now, it sounds like from hearing you guys talk that this is not overly difficult to find if people want to track it down, right? Even though it is a deep cut. I mean, it's it's not put out by like main, a mainstream distributor, so it's not one you're going to find on the shelves at, at you know. Yeah, store. you're not going to walk into Walmart or Best Buy and see it on the shelves there, but right. any online, like I, I got it off of Amazon you know, fairly easily and fairly inexpensively. So what do you think, Jay? Does this sound like a movie you're going to check out? Uh, No, actually. And I was on board the whole time until at the end when you said how many S words are dropped in it. (laughs) Because, (laughs) and and it's not that I'm afraid, you know, of Satan or anything. I'm not, I'm not. But it's just that I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. And you know, I find that very off-putting. It is offensive to me when things are sacrilegious and so forth. That's the big. Re- that's one of the big reasons I hated the Lords of Salem. Besides the fact that it sucks, but but also now, not to spoil anything. But what would you say if God wins in the end? Well, mm-hmm. I would say that's that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> well, my apologies then to Chris XS and Juan for saying, making that comment about the S word. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, I was totally gonna like eventually because of the fact that you said it was a that you guys said it was a deep cut and you said it was like this rare cinematic oddity. I mean, that's right up my alley. Things like yeah. that. So yeah, I blew it, guys. Sorry, oh, everyone. What are you gonna, what are you gonna do? <laughs> He'd have found out sooner or later. I'm the one that blew it. I failed to <laughs> get it watched in time. So my apologies to everyone. Drinks all around. And uh, next, we'll move into our feature review of Calvair from 2004, a.k.a. The Ordeal. Je vais m'aider. Ma camionnette démarre plus et j'ai vu sur un panneau qu'il y avait une auberge dans les environs. Monsieur Martel, j'ai du monde pour vous. Désolé de vous réveiller, mais je suis tombé en panne avec ma camionnette. Il y a longtemps que personne n'est venu, mais vous inquiétez pas, les chambres sont propres. Okay, you guys, this is the part of the episode where I show up to work because <laughs> nice. I didn't, I didn't right. do my, I kind of took the week off. Not really, but anyway, this is a recommendation by Tony is on fire, our friend from Buffalo, New York. And it's, he says in his email that he sent to us, he said, it's my under the radar film choice, the ordeal or Calvert from 2004. This is a Belgium film. It gets grouped into the French extremism category. And all I will say is it is extremely disturbing on a whole different level than you'd expect. <laughs> and he says, the Wolfman might need balls of steel instead of nards for this one. <laughs> uh, so the tagline to this movie is, what's the worst that could happen? It was directed by Fabrice Duwells and also written by him as well as Romain Protat. And as he said, it is a Belgian film, French film, and it has, you know, it's in the French language, obviously. And so it's subtitled, right? So if you are not a speaker of French, <laughs> then you'll be reading subtitles for this. Now, according to the Google Translate site, the literal French to English translation of Calvaire is Calvary, which should not be confused with the 2014 Irish drama by the same name with Brendan Gleeson, right? This is different. And it's, it seems clear from moments in this movie that Calvary refers to the site outside of Jerusalem's walls where Jesus Christ was crucified. And it doesn't appear to be this like thematic through line or anything. It's just one aspect of the film, and you'll understand when the moment comes. I won't describe it any further. Now, as I said, the English title for this is The Ordeal, and I think that's actually a much more fitting title for this movie. And even though it was released in 2004, it has the appearance of a 70s film, which is one thing I really love about it. And if I were to describe this on Twitter... You know, just kind of put out there 140 characters or less little description. I'd call the ordeal a French version of Deliverance if Deliverance were a horror movie and if it only had one protagonist. <laughs> Are you loving it so far? Because I know you guys like Deliverance. Oh, yeah. I'm a fan of Deliverance. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, see, if people are familiar with Deliverance, that's a movie from 1972, I believe. 
It's excellent. It's one of my all-time favorites. It's not quite a horror film, though. It is certainly horrifying at times. Yes, absolutely. And I'd classify that one as a drama, adventure, thriller. But the point is, if you love Deliverance, then I think you also love The Ordeal. So this is definitely one right now. Put this on your list if, if you love Deliverance. Now, recently on Movie Podcast Weekly, I think it was Shannon who recommended that we watch a movie called Southern Comfort. Have you seen that one, Doc? Oh, the, that was uh, Walter Hill, I think, directed that one. I do. I have not seen that, but I actually just picked up the, the Shout Factory, put out a new Blu-ray of it. Okay. Um, that I picked up um, because I've heard I've heard some really good things about it. I've not seen Southern Comfort though, but I would. Um, it's high up on the list of um, things that I know I need to check out. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, yeah, it's Deliverance esque. It's in the same vein as these films. It's often and, and equated. Another movie. Yeah, it's like like a, what was another one? Rituals from the seventies. I think it had Hal Holbrook in it. Was along those same lines as well. You know, the hunters go out and they're being hunt stalked by somebody. Um, it seemed like there was a group of them that came out probably post Deliverance. Nice. You know that that yeah. would definitely influenced a lot of them. But um, and yeah, I, I that I I do have that on the list um, to check out. Yeah, so I mean, it's kind of along those lines, but it's so the ordeal here, though, it's like a stronger, weirder incarnation of that same premise. And for those who don't know, here is the premise this is set at Christmas time. Technically, it opens on December 23rd. So if it's December 23rd for you, or you want to get some horror movies on December 23rd, you can combine this, you can do a double feature, watch the ordeal, and watch Wind Chill. Because those are both occurring on December 23rd. I think that's cool. Mm. Anyway, just a little side note there. So Mark Stevens is the lead character. He's played by Laurent Lucas. Or maybe it's Laurent, right? And uh, he's, he's a singer. And as the film opens, he's performing at this retirement home community for these elderly people. They obviously adore him. And he's okay at what he does. He's young, probably late 20s, early 30s, and this obviously is not his dream gig. Now, I'm not going to go point by point on this movie or anything, and I will not reveal any spoilers to you, but I just, I'm describing this opening because it's not, it's not really significant to the rest of the film, and (laughs) it gives you a good flavor of the movie, and it leads into a real-life experience I once had. So, as this character is leaving the old people's home, this one older lady makes a sexual advance at him. And it's, it's very sad and disturbing at the same time. And this lady looks kind of creepy. She kind of got under my skin a little bit. Um, so I used to do this very thing. This is a little personal note with Jay of the dead here. I'm a musician. And back when I was starting up and trying to get my, I guess, pay my dues, I would perform at nursing homes, <laughs> just like this guy. You know, I play piano wow. and play guitar. There are other and places to pay your dues, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know, but here's the thing, Wolfman and Josh. I got a good heart and everything. Oh, actually, I so you, you were saying it was probably pleasing to them. I was curious. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's who awful. is who is more receptive? Um, people in a nursing home or drunk people at a bar? Like, what's the What's the ratio of people actually paying attention to your music? Um, boy, that's really hard because the people in the nursing home are kind of just out of it, kind of like in this vegetative state. 
and people yeah. in a bar are just annoyed by you and not paying attention to you. I've, I've, I've done both, actually, and you've, you've just spawned a secondary tangent story. One time in one of my nursing home performances, my friend and I were playing that old school tune, In the Mood, which is that, that old people standard that they love. Are you talking the uh, the big band, Glenn yeah. Miller? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we were jamming on that, on this like piano. And we watched this old lady get up out of her wheelchair and walk at like, you know, negative one mile an hour across the room <laughs> and grab this other lady by the hair. She was in a wheelchair as well and started trying to yank her and drag her out of the wheelchair and she's and the woman in the wheelchair who was being yanked by her hair. She said, "Oh, she's crazy. She's crazy." And and we were the best part of this is we were recording our performance, the audio version, and we actually had it on tape for the longest time. I am sorry to report that I lost that otherwise I would insert it here. That would be awesome. I would love to. I would love to hear that. Jay, Jay of the Dead is, is is inspiring violence in the elderly with his music. <laughs> That's right, baby. But, I was anticipating, you know, this woman who this was her and her husband's song, and she was going right. to dance with his ghost. And I was just, I was just ready for this really romantic kind of story. <laughs> oh, <man>. um, <laughs> I'm telling you, after seeing it follows, in all seriousness, I probably would never be able to play a nursing home again. Because if they get up and start walking toward me, you know, because of that scene in It Follows, I'd be freaking out. But anyway, <laughs> back to the tangent at hand. <laughs> one time after one of these just magnificent performances, my good friend Bill and I, we were packing up and getting ready to leave and stuff. And this old lady grabbed his butt. She grabbed him by the butt and she said, hey, baby, roll me and you know what I mean. <laughs> Oh boy! So, oh boy! So I'm just saying. West Virginia nursing homes are rough. <laughs> this this was a West Virginia. That's true. It was a West Virginia nursing home, um, wow. Moundsville, West Virginia. In fact, for our introduced that from the Bill reference. Yes, Bill Barnes reference. Yeah. Yes, Bill Barnes. Exactly. Yes. Wow. So anyway, that's my story, and the reason I told all that is because there there are similar shenanigans in the beginning of this film, and I'm like, oh. I relate to this character. Like I know what, what he's going through. But anyway, the premise is he he's driving somewhere. He's on a trip. He's driving his van. It breaks down and he gets stranded in this backwoods type of community. And in fact, IMDB in gives Belgium. The... Mm-hmm. Yes. I've been to Belgium and there aren't a lot of, there aren't a lot of backwoods communities, but really I mean, there's, a, I guess there's a lot of, nature forest land but it's not like i don't know i i just i don't know i'm curious to hear what you're saying going to say i apologize for interrupting it's just not it's definitely not like southern comfort or deliverance in terms of oh, okay. the way the way the backwoods might appear well i know the film was you know it's a belgium film it comes from there and it's in french language but i, I don't necessarily know that it was supposed to be set there i assume gotcha. it is but but IMDb gives the description, a singer's van breaks down deep in the woods, period. <laughs> and that's really the premise. I can't say a lot about what happens because the joys of this movie <laughs> come from these WTF developments. And there are some serious WTF developments. But let me classify it here. In terms of a genre classification, this is a drama first. 
okay? A survival-type horror movie second and a horror movie third, right? Um, it takes it takes Ooh. forever for the horror elements to enter. And when they do enter, I mean, the hardcore horror fans out there would probably say they're mild, but I'm telling you, <laughs> it is disturbing. It really is. And the reason that I it kind of perked me up on the survival horror bit because it has that formula to it where it's a situational horror film. There is a perishing predicament where the longer he's stuck in this situation, the worse it becomes for his well-being and for his survival. And so there are moments because it is so bizarre. This goes places, you guys. (laughs) I'm just saying it goes places that there there's, it's probably supposed to be somewhat humorous, even though I wouldn't call this a horror comedy. There's one um, one of the first really alarming scenes. I actually laughed. I was kind of laughing. It's not funny, really. Like, <laughs> but it, it's it's so disturbing, and, and I wish I could talk about it more, but I just want everybody to be surprised when they see it. So anyway, he he breaks down near this inn nearby, and the innkeeper takes him in, and there's this community of people and it's really kind of bizarre because the community appears to have no women. I noticed that's never really underscored, uh, but there's no women to speak of. So he'd have been better off back at the nursing home. This has a lot of weird animal noises in it because it's, you know, this rural place and um, there's a lot of like pig sounds and stuff, which is, which really plays into the mood of the film And speaking of the mood, it's interesting because this film does not have a musical soundtrack to speak of. There's no, there's no musical cues with it, you know, and there's not scary music or creepy music. It just kind of plays like, you know, it's just somebody filmed this actual events happening. Now, there are a couple of musical tracks, just a couple little instances of music that occur within the scenes themselves. Like there's a scene in this tavern where they play this really creepy music on piano. And it's so cool that I recorded it. And I'm going to play it at the end of this episode as the outro so everybody can hear that. But that scene is very bizarre and and just unsettling, honestly. It's just kind of weird. Now, uh, and I'm just trying to think where else because I don't want to go too far on any of this. I don't want to push it. And I hope Tony is on fire I hope he doesn't think I'm shortchanging anybody, but I got to save the surprises and everything. Uh, I will say the protagonist, I couldn't really get behind him. I, I don't like his character very well. I was, I, I found him off-putting. He was hard to sympathize with. And it's interesting because then I read in the IMDb trivia that the director, he said he, he purposely wanted to create characters in the film that were against type. And he wanted people to actually uh, sympathize more with the the villainous type of characters rather than the victim, and it worked because yeah, I I don't really like the like the victim in this movie, but anyway, bottom line, this is disturbing. Um, it's mild in terms of like full blown hardcore horror and all that stuff, but if you want a, a kind of a surreal experience, I mean, it's set in reality. But there are things that happen in this that are kind of dreamlike. They're so bizarre. And so, yeah, if Deliverance had been pushed farther into a horror movie, you'd have this here. It's a drama, survival, horror film. I give it a 6 out of 10, which is a good rental. 
I tell people to check that out. If the ending had been better, or if I had been more pleased with the ending, then I would have um, probably given it considerably higher. But I just want to thank Tony is on Fire, and that is The Ordeal from 2004. You guys going to see that? Yeah, I, I actually heard of it before. I'm just not... I didn't know anything about it. I just remember hearing the title before in passing when I'm sure I was looking up something about the extreme French cinema. There was a time there. I was really fascinated by that, you know, after after high tension and then, and, uh, you know, frontiers and inside and, and whatnot. Um, I was really sort of looking into that. I think I even uh, might have been around the time I chose it for uh, when we did Planet Macabre. I chose that as one of the uh, theme episode was sort of the extreme French uh, I remember. cinema. Yeah. Um, so that might have been, I might have stumbled across it then, but I, I do want to see it. Yeah, absolutely. And I will, I should say on that right there, I mean, yes, on paper, you know, it, you could consider it extreme just by, you know, some of the things that happen. But as far as like what's depicted graphically or explicitly, I, I wouldn't consider it extreme in that sense it's not in that it's not a high tension slash inside in that regard is what you're saying right right but okay. you know the things that are happening i mean you definitely don't want to expose your children to this movie or <laughs> okay you know things like that so anyway uh, wolfman josh are you gonna see the ordeal yeah absolutely okay i, I mean wait. i i i'm interested in it i um it's hard for me to imagine that setting being scary. So I, I don't know. Maybe I, I've lived a lot in Western Europe. And so it, it just has like this really romantic feel to me. I've lived in Holland and Belgium and Spain and Austria. Like, I think I think of Eastern Europe as kind of like the scary Europe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With so, Romania. I mean, yeah. yeah like, I start getting out into places that I feel a little more uneasy, like, something could happen to me on a back road. I don't know why Belgium just seems like the most joyous, friendly place. They're eating waffles and chocolate and cheese and <laughs> giving each other diamonds all the time. I mean, <laughs> well, and that I will say this too, uh, in response to your comment that, I mean, I think this movie is particularly effective to males because I, I guess, well, the, the victim character here is a male for one yeah. thing. I'm sure females could, find it scary as well just want to say that but but because we males you know how we are there's a lot of machismo among us and we fancy ourselves as you know take charge guys who could take care of a situation but the fact that this male gets trapped among other males in this community is very unsettling so i think i think it'll work on you I, i do Okay, well, and real real quick, I just want to throw this out there, Jay. I, I uh, something that I uh, had been meaning to throw out, and then uh, Josh just reminded me about it um, with the talk of Europe. Um, I had mentioned the podcast before called uh, "The Flicks the Church Forgot" mm-hmm. with Reverend uh, Peter Laws. Uh, he, he's 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 a reverend. He's a big fan of horror movies, and he he talks about horror movies, and then he puts them almost in a in a. Uh, uh, I want to say like uh, looks at look goes behind it to look how it might relate to a a you know Judeo Christian uh, philosophy um, and and how maybe other religious people can identify with these movies because he grew up liking them but um, he on one of his recent episodes uh, he took a trip to Transylvania 
And he actually went for a walk at night by himself with the microphone, you know, with his uh, with his, uh, <laughs> I guess, microphone out into the dark of Transylvania and just took a quick little walk nice. at night, which I thought was uh, pretty brave. I mean, even just listening to it, you're like, wow, <laughs> it's, I don't know if I would do that even. Um, but I just want to I want I've been meaning to throw that out there and it just seemed like it's gonna place and I need to throw that so it's the flicks the church forgot. Um and, and I'm not I don't know what episode it was. I don't have it in front of me right now, but he did that it, it was one where he took a trip to Transylvania. Well if you I, if you track it down, just send it to me and I'll link it in the show okay. notes and yeah, he okay. must he must have had a lot of faith. What do you what were you gonna say, Wolfman? I'll just say and again relating back to my Carmilla research who probably should have gone to Styria because that seemed to be the original location of Dracula. Okay. (laughs) Wolfman just called him out and said, you wuss, that's not the real place. Went to the wrong country, bro. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. All right, and at this point, we'll move into our feature review of Murder Party from 2007. This is the party. We've been planning this for weeks. The invitation said murder party. If some jackass is dumb enough to come here, then he deserves to die. Look, I don't think we actually thought someone would be stupid enough to show up. He's a white male. He's perfect. Think beyond splattering blood on canvas. When our masterpiece is complete, and the coroner's report is back in, it will read the cause of death. All right, I chose this one. This was recommended by uh, Christian Christian B, I believe. Christian Bale. Yeah, Christian Bale. Right. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in in the comments, uh, he put um, more than anything. I would just, I would really just love to hear what you guys have to say about my choice for little known horror gem, Murder Party, a great horror comedy making fun of the Brooklyn art hipster scene. Uh, and that is a lot of what this movie is. Uh, you know, just to set it up, there's this guy. His name's Christopher. Um, he obviously a very lonely, very lonely guy. He lives in this small little apartment with his with his cat, uh, and he finds uh, an invitation to a costume party, and it's called Murder Party. Uh, so what he does is he he gets this old box. He makes his knight's costume out of it. Uh, gets his pumpkin that had been smashed. His pumpkin had been smashed on the front, uh, I guess, uh, like the front step of his uh, of his door leading up to his apartment. He got yeah. that. He made some quick pumpkin bread out of it. Threw some raisins in there, <laughs> um, and got this together with a bowl of uh, candy corn and went to murder party. It was in Brooklyn. Printed out directions to it. Uh, but when he gets there. He finds, you know, a handful of people there in, in different costumes, and uh, he is the uh, – it turns out that he is not so much the, the guest as the main attraction because it is an actual murder party. And in order to uh, try to impress this artist friend of theirs who has, who has – uh, access to to a huge to a large sum of grant money they're each trying to figure out a way to the best way to kill christopher uh <laughs> for art you know and, and then maybe hopefully then they get a get this grant money i really like first off i really like the costumes as soon as he walks in you got two of them there you got the the replicant from blade runner you know that daryl hannah character yes. was, was the one girl and then the one that really got me was the baseball fury 
<laughs> the, the guy yes. from the Warriors. From the Warriors. Uh, yep. It was Justice of Big Fur who just kind of sits off in the corner for, for a good chunk of the movie. He does eventually make his presence known in a big way. But for the for a big chunk of the movie, he's just sort of off in the corner, you know, not really participating, smoking dope, and uh, just every now and again chiming in when they ask him a question. Um, and the were- the werewolf is Macon or Mason Blair from Blue Ruin. Oh, okay. And and then I, I was assuming the um, the uh, the guy in the vampire was it looked very uh, you know interview for a vampire. I believe his uh, name. Yes. I believe his name is pronounced Macon, as in bacon. Macon. I could be wrong, but I not think Mason. I, I I gave it both, didn't I? I tried. Yeah, you did, and and I really admired it. <laughs> Um, so anyway, that's the setup for this movie. Um, I chose it. Well, I'm going to be honest with you. I chose it because I had it on DVD and that's what drew it to me, uh, initially, <laughs> but I hadn't seen it yet. And I thought, okay, this is great. I, I, I can check this out. I finally have a reason. Cause this is a, uh, I want to say it's, is this a magnet release? I think magnet put this out, um, on, on DVD. And I really do love magnet they're like one of the labels that i'm all i'm drawn to you know there's it like was a- originally a magnolia release which is owned by the same company i don't know if magnet oh, picked, it. picked it up when they formed but yeah maybe that's it yeah but um no I, I, that had a, that had so that was the main reason i chose it but i'm glad i did because i did have i did think it was a fun movie and there are scenes in it where I did laugh. I mean, even early when he's in his apartment, he walks into this room. He wants to sit down. He walks in with this candy corn and a drink, and he looks at the cat. And just the way the cat's looking at him, like, what, you want me to move? It's not going to happen. You know, I thought that was the, the, the way they captured the look of, on the cat's face. You know, it was it was pretty funny. Um, <laughs> but and then as it gets to as he gets there and things sort of carry on, I mean, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the characters names now they're not they're not coming back with this this one girl who was almost trying to be like the calming influence on the group and it's funny because she says i've come up with a way that everybody will be happy but nobody dies and then she finds out then she asks him like right there's other raisins in this pumpkin bread she's eating the pumpkin bread while this guy christopher is tied to this chair and he's like yes and she's like are they organic he's like no and she's and she's allergic to them well, she's got to sit down because it makes her dizzy. Well, she ends up falling. She hits her head and ends up dying. So she never even got a chance to throw her idea out there. <laughs> as to what she want to do. But it was funny because at that moment, I did sort of realize how the movie might go. I didn't know if it would definitely go in that direction. But it, it turned out that, yeah, it did sort of follow along those lines. But yet it was still it was still enjoyable. You know, and I think some of it had to do with the with the characters uh, who I, I, on the Wikipedia page. There's a quote here and it really does sort of fit. And I, I don't know about this. The name is Jeremy Saulnier. I don't know if it's that that's how it's pronounced. That's correct. Uh, but, mm-hmm. OK, but his, his quote is it's the breakfast club with chainsaws and hard drugs. <laughs> well, he's, he's the director. But yeah, oh. <laughs> Okay, well, there you go. And that's and that's a lot of of what this is, you know. And you do get those interactions. Then this guy shows up, uh, the one with the grant money, and he's an arrogant sob. Um, and he brings this guy along, like this this I don't know if he's Russian or definitely Eastern European, um, who's who uh, he's like the hitman. He's got a gun with him, real almost like a gangster type. But it turns out he he works in his parents' pierogi shop. 
Um, but you've got this, so you got this mix of interesting characters, and then they they take what is what is that? Is it sodium pentothal? Is that the, the truth serum? Oh, At yeah, once, I don't remember. Yeah, but yeah, they take something that's like truth serum, and they sit around and they start like confessing all of their you know, uh, uh, I guess. Things that they're just confessing things to each other, and they even bring the victim over at one point and give him this, and he joins in on the conversation. Um, but actually, the th- what I thought was really funny was the the one girl who had died had brought acid to to kill this guy. Right after she's dead, the the wolf, the guy in the the wolfman costume gets really upset, and he grabs this acid and he's pouring it over the guy. He shoves the first, he shoves the bread into his mouth. He's cursing him. He's pouring this acid over him, and it turns out that it's it's like a very mild form of acid. It's like vinegar that she had brought. I guess not <laughs> not realizing that it was not going to actually kill him. <laughs> but uh, and I'm guessing you guys have seen this movie. I have not. I have. Okay. Sorry. Okay, Josh. And what were your thoughts? I mean, just real quick about it. Uh... It's uh, you know, it's um, I think it's really funny, and I think there's some great moments. There's some there's some pretty slow parts. I saw it the first time at Slamdance Film Festival, so I have seen it since then on DVD. I can't remember if they tightened up some of those slower moments. You probably have a better idea. At the beginning of the party, I wasn't really sure how into it I was. But it goes off toward the end. I mean, it gets crazy. And it, yeah. this is like, a, there's some big splatter moments during this movie that are really just shocking and funny. And um, absolutely, yeah. That and that's where that's where it gets. You know, it it eventually um, gets to that point, and it's just it's jarring in a way. But you know, it, it almost seemed like a natural progression too, just with the way yeah. everything was going. It does. You know, and, and it just I gets crazier was- and crazier. And I, I think the ba- guy who plays the baseball fury was, he was awesome. I thought he was yeah. great as an actor. And again, I love making Blair as the werewolf and his character has two really funny, gruesome scenes. Um, one chainsaw related and one where he kind of becomes a wolf man. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah. Um, and I don't want to go too deep into this because I think I think it, it, it's something that uh, I'm going to recommend people check it out and, and experience it. Um, but I, I think that what really did sell for me were the were the characters, and I could see where some people might find them grating. I mean, they definitely are this this these 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 artists, you know, and everyone's got their own idea of what to do uh, to this guy. Um, it was funny because the baseball fury guy, this at the beginning of the movie where he's just not really caring. He was like, I don't know. I was going to, I was going to, well, I won't get too deep into it, but you know, but he had one very specific thing in mind and it was just sort of not really, not really creative. Um, (laughs) Everybody else was coming up with all this stuff, you know, photos and videos and, and everything else that they wanted to do. And this guy, well, all right, I'll just throw it in there. Jay, if you want to censor it, you can. He's like, I was just going to cut his off and light him on fire. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is what he said. Um, and meanwhile, the whole thing, the real funny thing is this guy, Christopher, is standing there. He's tied up. And <laughs> yeah, he's, he's there he's for all of this. Witnessing discussion. this whole thing. He gets loose at one point, And it must be the lamest attempt to escape that I've ever seen in my life. He's basically running in the wrong direction every time and then goes into a closet. He locks himself in a closet, opens up all these weapons in there. you got fire extinguishers and everything. What does he do? He runs out, throws a bunch of trash in the middle to distract him, and then takes off in another direction. I think they finally tracked him down in like 30 seconds. <laughs> um, 
And then the next time they come back, it's not rope. He's in chains. He's got all these chains around him. But it uh, turns out that's not even that great. But anyway, um, yeah, I don't want to go too deep into, into the particulars of the movie itself. Uh, but I, I did. I liked it. I thought it was uh, I thought it was funny. And it does um, get real wild towards the end that I think will appeal to people who are, especially if, if you like gore, if you, if you like gore in your horror movies, I think this is going to appeal to you too. And also just the whole idea of showing up at a party, you know, and I don't know that any of us have ever been in a position where we've shown up at a party by ourselves that we knew nothing about in an area of town. We knew nothing about because even that was kind of frightening at the very beginning when he's looking, this is not a nice area. Of, of right. Brooklyn and he's walking down these streets at night and, and he's running at one point trying to get there. And then he eventually finds it and he sort of invites himself in and, and stumbles across this. Um, and you could tell everybody was shocked. Like, Oh my God, somebody showed up. Yeah. And that's funny. Cause they just, you know, they just put out a bunch of flyers apparently and just hoped someone would come. And I think it's funny that, um, you know, to him, it starts out as just like, oh, like everyone else at this party seems to know each other. But I don't. And that was really funny just on like a yeah. social level. But right. I think I think, you know, people are always looking for movies that take place on Halloween. This mm-hmm. is a pretty fun one. Like if you, it is. If you if you haven't seen it, you know, if you're going to watch three or four Halloween movies this coming year, this would be a great one to throw into into your rotation once and give it a shot. Um, see if you like it. Get. I would say it kind of reminds me tonally of like Trick or Treat, but maybe like fifty percent less horror than Trick or Treat. Um, yeah, but it, but it has that same kind of like relationship to comedy and and splats. Right. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with that. And yes, this would be a good one to to watch on on Halloween. You know, leading up to the holiday, that would be perfect. And if you haven't seen it, I definitely recommend. Uh, you know, if you're gonna if you're gonna watch it, then that would be a good time to watch it. All right. Um, as far as as far as a rating, I guess we're done. Um, as far as a rating, I would probably give I'd give it a, a seven point five, and I'd say um, it's actually it's close to an eight for me though. I'll be honest, I had that much fun with it. It's close to an eight. Uh, at hell with it. I'm just going to give it an eight, and I'm going to say <laughs> yeah, pick it up, and you know what? Hold on to it. Hold on to it for Halloween and check it out. <laughs> nice. I haven't seen it since it came out, but you know, like again, I saw the festival. Saw the day it came out on DVD, but it's been cut down to eighty minutes. I'm not sure now. At the festival, I know that sometimes you see a raw, like a more, a more mm. uh, recent cut of of the movie, um, and sometimes they they tight, like you said, they tighten them up from there. And I'm not sure how long the version you saw, but this one's eighty minutes. And it seemed to go by pretty. It breezed by pretty pretty quickly. I, I didn't see this- too many slow parts. Okay, I wouldn't call. I wouldn't say this is set in stone because it has been over. Well, I don't know what nearly, I don't know, eight years, I guess, since I've seen this or so. So, mm-hmm. um, I, out of recollection, I'd probably give this a seven, but that wouldn't be hard and fast. The one thing I would say is that if you're a fan of blue ruin and you're hoping to see a horror movie by the same director, this is almost as far away as you can get from blue ruin in terms of tone. It's like mm. the opposite tone, but it actually like explains, I think, why the horror elements in, or not horror, but the the gory elements of Blue Ruin are so effective. This guy really, you can tell, he really knows the genre, and he was able to inject these kind of hyper violent moments into kind of what would otherwise be kind of like a, a thriller drama with Blue Ruin. Yeah. So I don't know, it's worth checking out. It's a it's a fun Halloween movie for sure. Absolutely. So you say it's about a seven and rental Wolfman? Yeah, I mean honestly, like. 
I it's not a movie I've revisited. I didn't buy it at the time, but based on this discussion, I got me interested in watching it again. I want to revisit it. So I'm totally watching it this year again, based on just hearing Doc talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Yeah, I I actually it was on my list. It was another thing I wanted to watch. I'm kind of bumming that it's a horror comedy. How much do you think that'll bug me, Doctor Shock? Because oh, it'll 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 bug you. I mean, the comedy is it's not it's not subtle. I mean, it is in a way. I'm, I shouldn't say it. it is subtle, but it's there and and it's like front and center. And it is actually um, large chunks of the movie are are sort of dedicated to to the comedy, if not running throughout, like sort of underlying throughout the movie. Yeah. But there are large parts of it that are just straight up comedy. I would say if you approach it as a comedy, then you'll really love all the additional horror elements that it has in it. Okay. Right. I think pe- people who don't like that mixture, just think of it as you're watching a comedy and like, you know, like a zombie land or Shaun of the dead. This is actually kind of in that camp in a, to a certain yeah. degree. I agree. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, one of these days I'll probably get around to it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the trick or treat, trick or treat feels like the right kind of gore and comedy yeah. mixture to me. Tr- trick or treat is just that's just such an incredible movie. I was so blown away the first time I saw Trick or Treat um, when that yeah. came out a few years ago. You know, there was just everything about that. It it had it had the scares. It had you know the the gore. It had um, just some of these these cool stories. And how some of them inter- some of them interacted with one another. I just really like that. That's a that we've got to come up with maybe the next Halloween. Uh, we'll, we'll put together like a just a list of Halloween movies, um, and I think we should definitely cover that one. You know, if you did like a Trick or Treat two, and you mm-hmm. could cut and you cut this down so it was a third of that movie, it would be perfect. Actually, yeah, that's why that's right. why I think it works. Like tonally, it's perfect. It's just it doesn't, you know, within Trick or Treat, you have so many opportunities for horror and gore and stuff that you don't with this because it's just one story that's kind of stretched out. But you could tighten this up, make it a third of a Trick or Treat 2, and it would be the perfect combination for a series like that. Right. All right. Still not, still haven't sold Jason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> <laughs> no I, I probably will check it out, honestly. I, I, well, Jay, if, this, if, this, if this is a selling point, nobody at any point mentions Satan. Okay, that's good. <laughs> that is. That's positive to me. Yes. <laughs> there are no weird chair gags. Right. <laughs> and no hair pulling. Tell me there's no, no hair, hair pulling. pulling. There could no. very well be some hair pulling. There, there, there might be some hair pulling, but nobody, uh, the, you know, it, it's it's in the mood is not playing at the time. So Okay. <laughs> hair pulling. See, at the nursing home, the hair pulling was awesome because the, the, hair, pull, the hair puller wasn't invisible. <laughs> and so it didn't look yeah. stupid, but no, like, invisible in this. Okay, good, good. I'll tell you what, though. There's something about those um, retirement communities. My son, when he was in Scouts, we went, and it was the Christmas, and wow, it was like cold. It was probably like six degrees outside, so everybody's bundled up. The minute you walk in there, you could be in a t-shirt and, and shorts because they keep those things that it seemed like 98 degrees in there, um, just because I guess everybody's so cold all the time, but 
we were walking down um, uh, around this area to sing these carols, um, you know, to, to, to all of the uh, patients and, and people who live there. Um, and there was a woman who was in her wheelchair slowly dipping forward, falling asleep. She was fast asleep, just slowly dipping forward, dipping closer and closer and closer to the point she was going to fall out of her chair. All the kids, all the adults are looking at her. Um, you know, a few said, oh, oh, she's gonna, she's gonna fall, she's gonna fall, and the nurses weren't really reacting. So, when she's just getting forward in front of you, like, well, you know at some point she's going to fall out of her chair. Well, about two minutes later, we came back around the other way. Basically, what they had done is put another chair in front of her so that her head hit that. Oh, that's a nice So, there idea. she is with her head flat on this chair, as opposed to falling and hitting the ground. <laughs> that's messed up. Yeah, there's, it's 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 definitely not a place you want to go to liven up, to make yourself happy for the holidays. Let's put it that way. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> okay. All right. Well, with that being said, <laughs> I loved it. Let's move into our next feature review of Martin from 1977. You see, people don't understand what's wrong. They think that I'm a monster. They think I'm a vampire. Those things I see in the movies are not real. I don't have a whole lot of women. It's nice to watch them. I watch them a lot all the time. I have to, to be sure that nothing goes wrong. I follow them. I plan. I'm very careful. I have needles now. I can use them. I can put them to sleep. And it doesn't hurt. I have to do things that I don't necessarily like to do. But I want to stay alive. I do need blood. From the director of Night of the Living Dead. Okay, so for my pick, I chose Martin, and this was recommended by Dino. He says, my recommendation is George A. Romero's Martin from 1977. When we think of Romero, of course, we think of zombies. I think Martin is interesting because it's a non-zombie Romero film. It's also one of the earliest examples of Tom Savini's special effects work. It's probably not a crazy obscure film, but I do think it's been largely underreported in horror circles. And this is a movie I've been hearing about for a long time and just have never gotten around to watching, so I was really excited to see Dino's recommendation here for it. So Martin is a 1977 film written and directed by George A. Romero. And I'm losing my voice, guys. <clears throat> it stars John Amplis as Martin. And it has some fun cameos here. There's one by George Romero as Father Howard, a priest who seems kind of skeptical for a priest, <laughs> at least in terms of more supernatural stuff. He also was into the movie The Exorcist, this priest, so I thought that was kind of funny. There's also a small cameo by Tom Savini, who, as Tino mentioned, did some of the special effects makeup for this movie. This is one of his... Earliest films, I think it's like his third film or something that he did special effects makeup for, but definitely an, an early one, and it led to um, his next collaboration the year afterward on Dawn of the Dead with George A. Romero. So it's cool that this is the film that they came together on. 
Basically, this movie is a film that would have fit really well into our Art House Vampires episode. There were a few points that seemed like maybe inspirational for Only Lovers Left Alive or, I don't know, maybe parts that would be good companion pieces um, in terms of just having a modern city setting with a young person that's a vampire, but also... Uh, you know, there's a scene in an alleyway where some hobos uh, are attacked by a vampire and you start to think about the cleanliness of blood, that issue that's brought up a lot in Only Lovers Left Alive. It would have fit right into that conversation, honestly. And it's dealing with a lot of these kind of vampire problems, as Jason called them. You know, the, these themes that um, are analogous to what's going on in our society, but also we're digging deeper into that monster and asking interesting questions that would logically kind of build from the mythologies that we've created around those monsters. You have a young man here who I, I took the film as pretty straightforward that he was a vampire, but really uh, it's left pretty subjective. And I've seen other people talk about the film as I've just done research that say, no, this film, in fact, even on IMDb, uh, the synopsis says a young man who believes himself to be a vampire. Um, you know, it's, it's not clear that he is a vampire, you know, Romero claims that this is one of his favorite films, according to Wikipedia. I think that's awesome. This is a really fun, interesting movie. I had a blast watching this movie. I was so glad I saw it. So basically what you have is this kid. He's His family's died, and he's on a train, and he's going to be staying with his uncle and his cousin, second once removed, whatever, in this small town. And on the train, he ends up killing a woman and drinking her blood, and he kills her pretty interesting way he he puts her to sleep with some kind of a syringe injections that kind of make her pass out and this, it takes a while that's the other thing that's interesting about the, these injections that he gives people um they take them a while to pass out so he usually has some pretty intense struggles uh with these people as they're as they're passing out from the drug that he gives them and then he cuts their wrists or neck or whatever with with a razor blade and drinks their blood and so traditionally it doesn't follow you know what we would expect to see from a vampire then he gets to his uncle's house the point i guess is that he's kind of detoxing the uncle's going to help him save his soul and then destroy him and that's the deal that they have worked out um i'm going to help you save your soul and then i'm going to detox you but if you kill anyone in town I'm just going to destroy you and you're not going to get redemption and you're going to go straight to hell. This guy is hardcore old school, also believes he's a vampire and apparently vampirism runs in the family. So it's a really cool setup. Now there's another relative staying at this house, the cousin or niece, and she thinks that they're crazy. She thinks Martin is a young boy who needs help. He needs to see a psychiatrist. She thinks the uncle's insane and that he just believes in the old ways and the family lore that are clearly not real. And so there's skepticism introduced very early in the film. And Martin doesn't adhere to any of the vampire kind of cliches or, or rules that we might think of. You know, he isn't affected by garlic or crosses. And he often makes mention of the fact that none of that magic stuff is real. It doesn't work. But what is real at least to Martin within the context of the film is that he is an immortal 
and he's an immortal that needs to drink blood. And so this is what he does. And, you know, and according to him, he's 85 years old. He looks in the film to be about 18 years old, 20 years old, you know, but we're meant to believe that he's this immortal that's been alive for all this time. And he does believe that he just doesn't believe in any of the lore surrounding the vampire. He doesn't believe he's evil. He doesn't want to do it. He thinks this is a sickness that was passed on this, you know, um, kind of thirst for blood, but he has that thirst. He has the classic thirst. And this is the film that as I was watching, it reminded me a bit of the sweet blood of Jesus, some of the themes there. And I thought, Oh, maybe this, you know, was inspired in part by Ganjan Hess. And I looked and Ganjan Hess. Yes. Did come out a few years before this film. So it's absolutely possible that George Romero saw this and was inspired by Ganjan Hess to some degree, you know, I don't know how closely those films end up lining up, probably not that much, but, um, but there is this interesting idea of these immortals that drink blood and would be vampires, but they kind of aren't affected by things that we think of as vampires. For instance, he doesn't burn up in the sun and, um, you can see, you know, there's, you can see his reflection in the mirror. Um, the one interesting thing that's happening during the film that makes me take it at face value is we see flashbacks that Martin has throughout the film. Every time he's about to kill or as he's stalking someone, we see these flashbacks that's well, what appear to be flashbacks. They're shot in black and white and they're clearly kind of a Victorian period. And he's wearing Victorian era clothes and there's castles and things around. And it's the story you know, that we get bits of throughout the film, but you know, minor spoiler alert, it's pretty clear from the beginning what it's going to be. It's this girl that he loves that he ends up killing and drinking her blood. And that is kind of interspersed. We get more and more of that story as we go throughout the course of our modern narrative, contemporary narrative. And it was exciting. It was a really interesting film. In some ways it works as a, like a big portion of the film is a home invasion movie. <laughs> I would say like one of the best scenes in the movie and it's really long is him going into this woman's house to feed on her and there's an unexpected person in the house when he shows up and he has to deal with that situation and he is not super powered like he doesn't have uh, you know immortal strength he doesn't have the ability to hypnotize anyone you know Bella Lugosi style he doesn't have any of these vampiric qualities like fangs that you, you know you really would think that he would use to subdue someone he just has these syringes that he carries around with him and so it's super interesting and it's almost like a thief breaking into a house there are parts of it that remind me of family plot the hitchcock film and it's crazy and you know and again it just has this kind of weird home invasion movie vibe um but you know in that kind of like 70s look and feel and it's it was fun i i loved 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 this movie it's dated and i don't love the actual vampiric elements of it but i do like its use of the vampire monster or mythology to kind of explore the things that they're talking about in this film um but it really was a lot of fun to watch if you like 70s movies and you know and you don't mind that's a little low on traditionally horrific vampire elements. There's still quite a bit of blood. It still has a lot of fun and tension and terror in it, I think. 
Um, it's a fascinating film. There's also element where he's talking to a late night radio host about what he's going through. I didn't think that was handled very well, but it did remind me of psycho four. And I wondered if psycho four was kind of inspired by this as well. That idea to use the late night radio DJ for him is, is kind of his confessor that he can talk to. Um, lots of cool stuff going on here. Really, uh, fun kind of unraveling there there are some scenes that do seem really slow and unnecessary and 70s weird and just kind of boring it's also interesting to consider that if this is not a vampire movie then it actually does have some major home invasion elements it's really about this guy who's a crazy serial killer druggist rapist um which you know actually you know because i didn't really think about the film that way it's on your mind as you're watching it because, you know, he's not killing people in a traditional vampiric way. But man, if I was to reimagine the film without the vampire element in mind or just, you know, saying this is all in his head, you could really rewatch this and have a totally different experience. So there's a lot of good about this movie. There's also a lot to not love. I mean, the cinematography looks really dated. Um, the writing, some of it's good, some of it's bad. The main actor who plays Martin is great by the end, but I would say the first half of the movie, his performance is rough because he doesn't talk a lot throughout the movie. And a lot of the supporting cast is not up to the same level that he is. So there are a lot of problems with the film, but there are other scenes that are just amazing start to finish. So I would give the film by today's standards, uh, keeping in mind that, you know, that it does have some of these 60s, 70s movies moments that are maybe a little bit boring for today's audience. Uh, I would get to give this one a six, but I do think it's a rental. I think everybody should check it out. And, um, yeah, I liked it a lot. So I was really excited for that recommendation. Thank you, Dino. So have you guys seen Martin? I have seen Martin, but like I said, I, I have this. Um, I used to keep a viewing log way back when. The last time I saw it was two thousand three. So it's been it's been twelve years since I've seen Martin. And I know okay. it's Romero, but I have not seen it yet. Uh, okay. No, I mean I was in the same boat as you. So, so does this sound like something you'd want to check out, Jay? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's on, yeah. it's on my list for sure, and it has been for. <laughs> a few years now actually <laughs> and i and i have been meaning to revisit it because what i did see you know i i remember thinking it was it was interesting you know is there anything that you remember that you would be able do you remember enough that you'd be able to give us a rating or or not i i don't feel comfortable giving a rating no i just don't because it's been so long i really do have to go back and revisit it um and i just remember that that uh, and it was the, and when i saw it then it was the first time i'd seen it so, yeah, I, I don't feel comfortable at this point giving one now. Well, Jay, I think it's worth checking out for sure. Okay. Yeah, I'll get I'll get to it. Well, I think we had a lot of awesome picks here from our listeners. They delivered. I mean, what we did is we asked for lesser-known horror gems, and that's exactly what they gave us. So I want to thank them, all of them, for their contributions here. So... Once again, let's run down through the list. We want to thank uh, Juan and Chris Excess. We also want to thank Tony is on fire. We also <laughs> want <laughs> we also want to thank Christian B from um, Rimsenberg, New York, another New Yorker there. Uh-huh. And we also want to thank Dino. 
All right, we really appreciate it. And really everyone, there were there were so many other great recommendations and a lot of your movies, even if we didn't review them today, went on our lists. Yes. I mean, yeah. I think a couple of them Absolutely. are gonna be fe- featured in upcoming themed episodes. Some of them are gonna be, there are a couple that I put on my Wolfman's Got Nards list. I mean, good, good recommendations. Absolutely. Yeah, so thank you. And um, at this point, I think that just about wraps up episode 52 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening and we hope you've enjoyed this episode. I really love these uh, listener-picked episodes and so we're going to have to do these more often. And before we wrap up, you guys just want to kick it around to my co-hosts, see if you have any final thoughts, final words, or plugs. And we'll start with Wolfman Josh. Yeah, I mean, I really had a good time. I hope this was a fun format for the listeners to hear. I think it was awesome to get your recommendations. And so I hope that this is something that we'll be returning to often. If, if people like this episode, I think it's a really fun way to do things. So, um, yeah, check out Movie Streamcast at moviestreamcast.com. Check out the Sci-Fi Podcast where I appear occasionally and I'm helping them produce that show. And check out Movie Podcast Weekly where I appear occasionally. Mm-hmm. Okay, and what about you, Dr. Shock? Uh, well, dvdinfatuation.com. Um, I finally crossed uh, 1,700 the other day. Uh, well, by the time this goes out, I'll have crossed it. I'll be well into 1,700. Uh, so check me out uh, over there. Uh, Twitter at dvdinfatuation. Also, Land of the Creeps. Uh, is the other podcast I'm on with uh, Greg Amortis, I had Field Hatchet, and Jesse Robbins. Um, you know, check us out over there. Uh, and real quick, I just wanted to throw out that I did not have to uh, discipline my kids today. <laughs> I did. I did hear that at the very end. I, I didn't realize uh, where that was. Um, and this is in, in episode forty-nine. Just to throw it out there, just so everybody realizes, my I, I have two sons, aged eighteen and almost sixteen. And actually, it's almost 19 and 16. Just so anybody, everybody out there doesn't think like I have this this cute little seven-year-old daughter, you know, with Andy curls, and I'm like dangling out the window by her ankle, screaming, "Stop downloading video!" No, it was It's not that. It's not that at all. And and they do it online. Yeah, exactly. And then it's one of these things where they know when I'm on here. They should they should not be online. And let's be honest, we record this at what midnight. Yeah, and it's a school night, so they should be asleep. So it's like all these things sort of coming together. Yeah, for you right now, it's one o five a.m. Yeah, yeah, but but it wouldn't surprise me. There have been times when we've wrapped up at like two o'clock, and I come upstairs to bed, and I look in, and there's my oldest son sitting there listening to a podcast, gives me a wave as he's laying in bed. I'm like, what the hell? Chip off the old block. (laughs) Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, yep. Well, that's cool. Now, we, I I bet that nobody ever thought anything negative other than it was just freaking hilarious to hear okay. you say well, that. I, I, I didn't see any negative comments, but for anybody out there who might have been, like, horrified that, that I've, I've got all these kids cowering in a corner and I'm taking their devices away from them, but it's it's <laughs> uh, it's, it's not it's not the case. So, I, I that's nothing. I do that um, tourist trap so pretty to my, four, oh, that's right. to my four-year-old that's right, daughter. Yeah. All the yeah. time. <laughs> I, I'm hoping you don't get into the whole thing. Okay, you know, with okay, the plaster's cool, and you know, okay, as long as you don't get into that whole. Uh, no, no, 
<laughs> that's hilarious. All right. that, this is that's awful, Jason. No, it's it's really funny. Just wait. Next it's time you're truly dis- it's truly disturbing. Next time, if your child ever grows up to see tourist trap, I don't know that they will have appreciated it like they probably do at this point. Well, next time, next time you're around my family, Wolfman Josh, I'll show you the context and you'll love it. All right. And anyways, <laughs> uh, and I'd just love it if people would be kind enough to check out our other podcast, Movie Podcast Weekly, where we review the new stuff that's in theaters. Check that out, please. MoviePodcastWeekly.com. Now, we love your comments on Horror Movie Podcasts, so get involved in the Horror Movie Podcast community and keep them coming. You can leave a comment in the show notes or email us at HorrorMoviePodcast at gmail.com. You can call and leave us a voicemail, which is my favorite way to hear from you. And that's 801-382-8789. If you've always wanted to call that number, but you never had something to write write it down with during this recording, during this podcast, then it's always in the show notes for every episode. You can find that at HorrorMoviePodcast.com. And at that same spot, you can find all our previous episodes, including the back archives of the weekly horror movie podcast and Horror Metropolis. You can subscribe free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at Horror Movie Cast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song, and you can find more of Fred's music at frederickingram.com. I'll have that linked in the show notes. And I think that's it for episode 52. So thank you for listening and join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.